Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Take your Bibles this morning, please, at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And our study continues, called to be saints. We're going to march through chapter 3 a little bit this morning. Great to have each of you here, and we trust the Lord will give us a wonderful time in His Word together. Father, thank You for the Word of God, how it comes from the heart of God, a revelation of Your desire, plan, and Lord, Your purpose for our lives. I do pray today, Lord, as we look into the Word, that our hearts would be encouraged to grow. Oftentimes, Lord, we tend to get settled for, so I pray you'll spur us on. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The question this morning is, are you uh, a baby Christian? Are you uh, mature in your walk with the Lord? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we are, and there's an interesting stark introduction to this chapter. And I, brethren, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. That, friends, is not a compliment. Yes, they are in Christ, but they are immature. They're babies. I don't know if you've ever heard the words, hey, son, it's time for you to grow up. (laughs) Uh, Or, uh, hey, listen, it's time to act your age, not your shoe size. Some of you heard those things. But those words, hey, it's time to grow up, usually in our house, come from my wife and they're directed to me. I don't know. I want to stop at this slide before I move quickly past it because right there in the middle, I don't know that this pointer will do it. Yes, there, there's a little, uh, a little judgment chair or seat called Bema or the Bema seat. We'll come to that, allude to that in this morning's message. I just wanted to help you to see that. It's time to grow up. I walked past the nursery this morning. I heard familiar sounds coming out of the nursery. Wails and cries as mothers detached from their children. That's typical of a baby. They're very selfish, aren't they? We'll talk about this. Here's another little phrase. Few women admit their age. Few men act theirs. This is where men, we ought to say amen. I'll tell you, in our home, it's usually my wife. It says, Pastor, honey, it's time to grow up. Act your age. I don't know if that happens in your home ever. I know um, sometimes the, the ladies far outpace us in the area of maturity. I'll just go ahead and admit that. At least that's the way it is in our home. First Corinthians chapter 3, as we close chapter 2, we uh, concluded, Paul reminded us that we have, the last phrase of chapter 2 says what? We have the mind of Christ the mind of Christ, because we have been regenerated. In fact, there were many Corinthians that considered the preaching, chapter 2, the preaching of the cross, preaching of Christ, foolish. They were highly cultured, a very um, cultured society, deeply sinful, profligate city of Corinth. And the message of the cross, chapter 1, verse 18, to them that perish is foolishness. Paul said there's a wisdom that comes of the simplicity of the gospel. In fact, he's saying unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. It is a transformative power. People in Corinth 
formerly, of course, uh, buried in all the lifestyle of uh, the seduction cults around them, were getting saved, coming to Christ, and Christ was making a difference. There was a transformation that the simple message of the cross brought. It could not be replicated by any of the philosophies of the world. In fact, when you came to Christ, you got a new birth, a new spirit, a new disposition, a regenerated nature. You're a new creation, we're told by, uh, in, in, by Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You're a, you're a new creation in Christ. Old things are what? They're passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. There should be a difference when Christ moves into your life. Christ moves into your heart. There ought to be a transformation inside of you. Not that you'll never sin again, but that, not that you'll be sinless, but that you'll sin less. You'll have a new direction in life, a new attitude because there's a new master. And we have, chapter 216, the mind of Christ. When Christ is in us, the guarantee of our salvation moves in, there is a different mindset. You love things that are different than what you used to love. You respond differently to sin than you used to respond. Again, not that you're perfect, but there's a new master in town, a new sheriff of your heart. No longer can you just go with the flow, but you have to indeed become a place where we assume the new identity in Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We're no longer The Bible says we're no longer bound for hell, but now bound for heaven. God spun me around 180 degrees when I got saved. I hope he did the same for you, that you no longer were headed towards hell, but now towards heaven. A new master, a new savior, uh, living inside a new Lord. The the world tends to live by a selfish mantra. Children, babies tend to be very selfish. The mantra is this. I live for myself, myself alone. I live for myself and none beside. I live as just as if Jesus had never lived, and I live as if he had never died. It is possible as a believer to be so negligent of your new life in Christ that you live as though he never died for you. Often we end our services with a question in our invitation time. How many of you know that you know that you know you're on your way to heaven, that you're saved and you have a Bible verse to prove it and every head is bowed and hands begin to go up. Most hands usually go up. I know that I know that I'm saved. Perhaps A more gripping question for us at Bible Baptist Church is this. Now that you know that you know you're saved, how do you know that you know you're growing? You've taken steps forward that you're no longer settled for, stagnant, immature in the faith. Can you point to any indication that beyond the gospel... You have progressed one inch or one mile since you've heard about what it takes to be saved by faith. In American history, we're coming to a place that's quite interesting. Those identifying as non-churched and non-Christian are now more in number than those claiming a church affiliation. Never mind truly born again, but the truth is 
those that are truly saved are a minor, always have been a minority, but it's not a poll that makes you a Christian. It's possession of a new heart and a new mind. And the problem is many of those of us who claim to be saved are somewhat just drifting along. We still have the stench and the smell of Corinth. And our lives are not markedly different at all from those unsaved around us. If I may be so bold, the problem, the reason the Corinthian church was struggling was that though they had been given a new heart, saved and justified, changed inside by God, they hadn't done much growing. The mind of Christ or sanctification was lacking. I remind you, in terms of the context, it's been five years since Paul has been there with his ministry team. Five years have eclipsed. He's moved on. He's at Ephesus now. And so he writes back because he's heard some concerning problems in the church. He was there a year and a half, 18 months. And now he'd been gone five years. And he was incensed, if I can use that word in a righteous way. He was angered by the fact that they simply had plateaued just Settled down, thankful for the gospel, but absolutely cold as to forward progress. What does the Lord say about about the church in Revelation? I I wish that you were either hot or cold. We're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, here's a quick little test. Did you know that the speed with which the world distracts you and the ease with which your flesh delights you are two of the best indicators that you're still a baby Christian. Let me say that again. The speed with which the world distracts you and the ease with which your flesh delights you are the best indicators that you may be immature in your faith. Let me probe a little farther here. Let's say an ad pops up on your computer that's rather immoral, immodest. How soon does your heart and eyes distract you? Are you instantly gone? Or an opportunity to miss church and without hesitation, off you go. Church can wait. The fish are biting. Don't say amen right there. A brother or sister says something to you. And it just sets you off because it's a little bit hurtful, critical, and immediately you're lost. Immediately immediately you're focused in on the offense. And you cannot, you're in a bitter stew and you can't get over it. Or a fearful thing is spoken to you, perhaps even in the culture of fear that's been engendered by, I, I think, by a world in a, we call it a pandemic, but I think the pandemic is advanced by the news, right? Many in our church, I don't take this lightly, have struggled with COVID. Thankfully, most have gone through it successfully, and some still are right now. We have many missing this morning, struggling a bit with this. It's a fearful thing. It can be a fearful thing, but I want us to know something. The church ought not respond as unbelievers, Uh, Brian Black, who's in the medical community, sharing Sunday school lesson this morning, alluded to this. We have the mind of Christ. It's our new identity. It's amazing to me how many medical uh, divergent 
or how many new medical professionals, I call laymen in a, in a sense, are now walking the streets because they have a favorite <laughs> YouTube doctor. Uh, they've let go of their family doctor, and now we're all researching. We're all pretty much medical. Have you noticed that COVID has made us medical professionals? We've all got our own protocols for treatment, and yours may not be the same as mine, and some of these things are highly divisive, even within the church. Maybe we're not fighting over Paul and Peter and Apollos, but we got our own contentions now, and the church seems to be, all you have to do is say the word vaccines or masks and, uh, or, 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 or some new drug, ivermectin. If you say these words immediately, you polarize people, right? And churches even have their sectors within the church, divisions. And I'm thankful for godly, good advances in medicine. And I'm not belittling that. We have a, a doctor who, have, who we support, Tom Johnson, in Cambodia. And it's just neat to read his newsletter. He is using some alternative drug protocols in the country. And through that, many folks are, are three of the hospitals he's working, many of the folks are are getting better, and it's taking, they're taking notice in the government. And through that, Tom Johnson, Dr. Tom Johnson and his wife have had many opportunities within the medical community and the political community in Cambodia to share the gospel. That's exciting. But these things ought not divide us, right, and cause us to put on the gloves and go after it one with another. I was talking to a group of Christians, and we were discussing the, the care that might be best for an elderly woman who, in her, in her nursing home, she had somebody within her orb of influence, or there at least somebody who knew her and was close to her, that had picked up a new strain of COVID, although they had been vaccinated. And there was interesting, as we gathered together, we we're all believers, and we're talking about how should we protect her? You've had these discussions all over the place, right? What's the best thing to do? It's okay to think wisely about that. But I thought it was interesting how devoid of God our discussions were. Well, we should try this new thing and that new thing and this new drug and maybe that vitamin and that, and maybe we should isolate and insulate. And All of us wanted the best for this dear woman, but none of us said, well, let's pray about it. Let's trust God. Let's understand that there's a measure of risk for all of us in this world, and the gospel still must go forward. And let's trust the Lord, give, give the best care we can, but let's not forget that God is sovereign and overruling. <laughs> We're not to run in circles, scream and shout and panic like the rest of the world. Above it all, God still reigns. And he's the one that numbers our days, not to throw caution to the wind, but we need to be careful in our speech that we exude the new identity we have. We have the mind of Christ. God has purposed us with the gospel. I love, again, Brian Black's reminder to us that throughout the course of history, God's design for us is to advance the gospel from those that have it to those that do not have it, never forget that's your calling. And God is not surprised or buffaloed by the fact that COVID is making its advances around the world. And we're not to kind of come to a place where we curl up in a ball and seize up and say, oh no, 
What are we to do? Rather, we to use this time of darkness spiritually as an opportunity to advance the gospel. Do the best we can and then trust the Lord, amen, to take care of us. If God calls us home, what we would call prematurely, there is no such thing as a premature death, right? He numbers our days. It's not such a bad thing. We get to go to heaven. That's the end for those of us who know the Lord. All that was for free. We are to assume your new identity, the saints of God, and to walk as though we have a, a living Lord within us. If we are saved by faith, let us also walk by faith. Well, again, I mentioned it's been five years, back to the text before us, since Paul and Silas have left them. And in the interim, they have been led by the, uh, the articulate Apollos. And some say Peter had even visited the church there in Corinth. And others within the church were old enough to remember a time where back in the homeland of Israel, they had actually heard a sermon by Jesus himself. Hence the division within the church. And they could still, some of them remember a time where they heard Christ speaking. But they had not grown much. They had not come to the place where they had grown much. Secondly, I want you to understand, not only are we to assume the identity or to, to act as though, uh, because we are saved, that the new mindset, that God is in control, that God has a purpose for my life, that I have the mind of Christ, power of God is working within me, transforming me, giving me the call to, to reflect Christ's likeness, okay? That's our identity. And then, it's important to understand that we are to act our age spiritually. Well, after these great pastors that Corinth had, and they were well taken care of, he still comes back with these verses. Let's continue reading chapter 3. Your carnal babies in Christ, I have fed you with milk, verse 2, and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither, again not a compliment, yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal fleshly, for whereas there is among you envy and strife, divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Uh, coming again off the context of chapters 1 and 2, you have a new a new God in residence. He is the living God, the transforming God. And he says this, who then? You're saying I'm a Paul and I'm a Paulus, this, this age-old argument here that they're facing, leadership, uh, kind of a, a divisive spirit about, I'm glad I got saved and baptized under that preacher. They couldn't let go of the past, although they didn't have a long history. And Paul goes on to say, let's read a few more verses. Who then is Paul? <laughs> Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom he believed. We are simply the conduits of the mercy and grace of God. The ministers. Not, we, don't, we don't transmute that. We're simply trans, we, we, we give the message to you. We came as his servants. Look at that word, servants, there in just a moment. Ministers by whom you believed, even even as the Lord gave to every man. Paul would uh, remind them that he's a little bit tired of them not acting their age. And he says, I want you to keep, spiritually speaking, I want you to keep moving forward. You are babies in Christ, stuck in the nursery, driven 
by the impulses of the flesh, your selfish appetite, you're easily offended, you're impatient, you cry easily, you're uninhibited, you're babies in Christ. How do you see yourself this, this morning? Some of us, be, be careful here, I'm trying to think back to when I got saved and comparing it to my age, you don't give away too much here, but <laughs> some of us have been saved for over 50 years. Some not so long as that. But are you just rejoicing in the core elements of the gospel that brought you across the threshold and there you sit saying, praise the Lord for my salvation. Where's the clicker? I can't wait to watch my favorite football team. Or has there been marked progress in your life as a believer. We have indications here of carnality or fleshly behavior, selfish behavior. Verse 3, there's strife among you, envying, divisions. You're walking, not according to your new identity, but as, as babes in Christ. You're smelling a lot like Corinth. You're acting like the old man. We have a student that's very young, and babies tend to have this self, they're not, they're uninhibited about selfishness. You, you understand that, parents? You understand that? And that's really pretty indicative of your age as a human. Uh, all you have to do is walk by the nursery, as I mentioned earlier, and you don't hear phrases like, oh, so you're using that toy now? I'll come back later. That's fine. <laughs> First of all, because they can't speak in complete sentences, but it's all about me. I got to have that toy and I got to have it now. Or as my grandson, when he was introduced to swimming this summer uh, at the impulse of of his mother, just couldn't stand putting his head under the water. I think I mentioned this. And when the teacher forced him to do so for his long-term benefit in life, that he would learn how to swim, he came up sputtering and he said, I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want to do what I don't want to do. (laughs) We're all like that. As we get older, we begin to hide it a little bit. And spiritually, we ought to be taking steps forward, not stagnated or stale. Praise God for salvation. Paul will speak later about those who will be saved, though as by fire, with nothing else to show for it but a passport to glory. Bible Baptist Church, this isn't just a passage for the Corinthians. This is a passage for us. Are you moving forward for Christ? Do the claims of Christ on your life go beyond, yes, I'm saved. I can still see and smell the smoke of hell, but that's as far as I've gotten. At least I'm out of the gates. (laughs) And there are some that will arrive in glory smelling of smoke. I'm just barely out. Paul says, this makes me a little bit hot under the collar. In fact, end of chapter 4, if you want to turn there, uh, here's what he says. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod? He's talking about a spanking stick is what he's talking about. Or in love. Is it okay for a preacher to talk this way? What will ye? He says, I'm a little bit fed up by what I hear. You've had plenty of time. It's not that you're not intelligent. (laughs) 
It's not that you're young in the faith, really. It's not that you haven't been privileged with some of the best. He doesn't, he doesn't brag on himself. But it's not that you haven't been privileged with good preaching and teaching because you have. Apollos is one of the most articulate preachers of his day. I was there, and Paul was not a lightweight preacher. He was one of the heavyweights of his day in terms of doctrine. He told his, his Ephesian friends when he left that ministry later, he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. And so they have been privileged with the best preachers. Some of us have on our shelves more than one copy of the Bible. Some of us have 10, 12 copies of the Bible, not to mention commentaries, Christian books. Our libraries are loaded. We've grown up in Christian homes. We've gone to Christian colleges. We've been surrounded by the milk and the meat of the Word. And yet, here we stand maybe two or three steps beyond saving grace. And that's it. The weightier things we have not even grasped. And our hearts are distracted, consumed with the delights of Corinth. And Paul, he's all the way in Ephesus. He says, I've heard about this. And he says, get moving again. Do the things necessary for growth in your life. And he is bothered by that. It's time to grow up. I uh, mentioned, uh, I don't know if I have earlier, but I, I, we, one of the joys of what I do here is I've taken a few minutes and just helped open doors for parents that come uh, to school. That's, that's fun for me. I, I enjoy welcoming kids to school at our Christian school. <laughs> Some of them do not know that I'm a pastor. They just think I'm the door guy that opens the car doors. And that's fine with me. But we have a little boy, and I'll tell you no names, not related to anybody here, I think, this morning. And it's been over a month. We've been in session, and every day when he gets out of his car, he's a little tyke, he starts wailing. He does not like school. And his dad puts a smile on his face, grabs the boy by his hand, basically drags him across the parking lot because he walks him into school. And the boy is just crying. All the teachers are smiling because you know who I'm talking about. He brings the boy, and he is just wailing. I don't want to go to school. Thank you, the mama. And, you know, and we give him a pass on that. I don't know if he'll still be doing that in the eighth grade, but it would be a different reaction for me, and we kind of smile and say, well, hopefully he'll get over that, but I've seen the dad put him over like a sack of flour, put him over his shoulder, and drag him down, and he cries all the way to his teeth. I don't know if he cries till lunch or not, but I have gone by later in the day, and he's okay. That's a good sign, but there is this Tearfulness. Now, if our teachers at their age would do the same thing, as they, that would be a concern to me. Now, I, I do hear that they do, <laughs> they do cry on their way home. Um, but the, the truth is, we need to grow up in the Lord and have a sense of maturity about us. <clears throat> it's been five years since Paul has left them and they are still stuck in first gear. They've enjoyed the preaching of great preachers. And so again, he ends this section by saying, hey, move on. I don't want to come back to you when I visit you with a, with a rod. I know 
Wednesday night I shared with uh, the group that was here for Bible study that my dad would often, it's interesting that a preacher would ask the question, why do you ask that question, preacher? Who wants a spanking? (laughs) My dad would do that. Do you want me to come back with a rod or not? Dad would look us in the rearview mirror when we were acting up in the back seat as boys. He was driving, and he would kind of just ask the question, boys, do you want me to stop the car? No. (laughs) Nothing good could come from that. Or, or, Or parents, have you done this? Son, do you want me to give you a spanking? Yes, sir, dad, that's good. I'd like that. No. We don't want that. And Paul is warning, admonishing them to grow in the Lord. Exercise yourself to godliness. It's so important that uh, Paul is is really moving them forward. He says, your problem isn't your intelligence. Your problem is your IQ. Your problem isn't that you're newly saved. The problem is you're not applying the Word of God to your life specifically. We have to... Understand that God wants us to move forward into heavier doctrines, so to speak, and weightier things in scriptures, the disciplines that bring us to understanding things like propitiation and atonement and separation and dispensational truths and things that are so wonderful and Blessed in the benefits that come from knowing and walking with the Lord don't come from an easy flyover of the Scriptures or for five minutes a day where you're just kind of glancing or you're grabbing, and I'm not picking on the daily bread, but you're just grabbing a little devotional, you're reading a paragraph, and there's a written prayer. You say that, you stamp it, and you're done. No wonder, no wonder we're stagnant when we are not exercising ourselves unto godliness the last time you've prayed for more than a minute about anything or anybody? Is it just when you're in crisis? And we wonder, why is it that the Puritans were light years ahead of us? Because their life revolved around a study of the revealed Scripture, and that was their passion. You are babes. Yes, you're in Christ, but you're just not moving. I can't feed you any more meat because you can't take it. You don't have an attention span for it. Ouch. Can't wait to get out of church because then I get to go to my favorite restaurant and I've already memorized the menu there and I know what number four, you know, I want that one. So pastor, hurry up. We have no appetite for the word. Disciples are applying biblical principles to life. They're avoiding sin in their own lives and warning others of the consequences of sin. They take the Bible seriously. They're pushing themselves and others to make consistent progress in their walk with the Lord. Every church, according to Romans 15, 14, should be full of those progressing Christians. Not everybody's the same stage, but they're applying biblical principles in their own lives, warning others of spiritual laziness or immobility, and pushing others to grow. 
I love a Christian who is talking spiritually during the week and outside of the formal services to, service times to, to others. Hey, how's your walk with the Lord? What spiritual principle are you... What's been a passage that you're chewing on and enjoying this week? What is it that you're praying for? What's your vision and passion for the kingdom? You don't hear talk like that in America so much, or at least in churches that I'm familiar with. It's more about just let's get it done and so we can get on with our lives. And so I have to put myself here. You've been saved 55 years. What passage to you is most rich? Where are you living? So we are thirdly then to anticipate uh, your appearing before the Lord. Anticipate your appearing. Chapter 3, verse 13. We're going to get to this more deeply in future times together in the Word. But every man's work shall be made manifest. I mentioned the Bema seat. This is exactly what he's speaking. Believers now, for the day of judgment, this isn't about whether you're saved or lost, the white, great white throne judgment. This is about Christians who are going to be measured in terms of their rewards. That day, just like there's a Bema seat in the center, town center of Corinth, God will set up his judgment seat, the perfect judge will award according to motive, service, work, the Christian for what, how he has spent his life. So Paul is reminding them, anticipate your appearing. Go back to verse 5. I'm, he's, Paul is saying, now, now I'm, I'm just a minister. I wanted to mention this word again. By whom ye believed. Uh, that's what Apollos is too. It's not about pastor worship. <laughs> you've had some great pastors here. And you've been around some great pastors if you've moved around in your life much. And you have access in our day and age to some of the best preachers in the world. But Paul is saying, who am I? Again, a rhetorical question. And he answers, we're just ministers. The word there. Is not the same as some other words for servant. It's the word for a, a, a person who serves tables. He's saying this, Paulus and I are just busboys. We're just serving tables. When's the last time you got a t-shirt with uh, your, your favorite busboy's name, you know? Or nobody gets a statue when you're wait tables somewhere. You know? I can't wait for the great table waiting contest, and they're going to put my name in lights. Paul is putting himself at that level. All I am is a conduit of grace, and that's all we are. God is doing the work here. I planted, verse 6, Apollos watered. God is the one that builds and gives the increase. So then, neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watered. God is the one that motivates true spiritual growth in the church, we're just one. We're a team together. Verse 8, everyone, and this is an important phrase, every one of us shall receive his own reward according to your labor. For we are laborers together with God. We're God's field. We are his building, his household. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise, in the Greek, the word is architect. We 
do the best we can. We bring the truth that builds foundational Christian truths. And another comes and builds upon that. It's not about the history in terms of personalities. Every man should take heed how he builds the church by sound doctrine. And there is no other foundation which any man can lay than that which is laid, Christ Jesus. And then a couple more for our consideration. If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, and then there's a comparison to things that aren't nearly as valuable, wood, hay, and stubble. Speaking here about the principles of what type of materials you're building with. Mainly our motives, our work and service. Paul speaks of these things in terms of gold, silver, precious stones. Will you bring your best attitudes, motives, your work, time, your effort, your passion? Are you going to bring your best to the master? Because one day he will know. One day he knows now, right? How you serve me. It may look good on the outside. You might have the greatest church in the state in terms of numbers, but God knows your heart. Paul is saying, when you build your motives for service, your attitudes, your work, doesn't matter who sees it, God sees it. And one day, each one of us will be drawn to Him at the judgment for Christians, the Bema seat, and God will give us rewards or if there was an improper attitude and an improper service and an improper motive, the Lord knows that. And just like fire purifies whatever the product or metal it is, so in that day of judgment, the almighty judge, the perfect judge will know and all these things that you thought were so important that people saw the offices you held or I held won't matter. It will burn up, be of no eternal weight or worth. And you will be saved yet as by fire. Folks, how important is it for us not only to get progressing, to get moving, to take step forward, to get out of the nursery, but how important is it then to do it in the right spirit, motive, and heart so that when we, and it's not if, but when we stand before the Lord, there will be a reward given. What an important truth this is in terms of moving us forward. I want you to do something for me. I want you to gently push me forward. Gently. Sometimes we need a two by four. But if, we, if you're stagnant, let's, each, let's push each other forward. Because there's a day coming, right? Not maybe. It's a coming quick. When we will stand before God's Bema seat as believers and the rewards will be handed out. It's not, it's not going to be the oldest Christian, the Christian who knew the Lord the longest that gets the biggest trophies. It's not going to be the one who's memorized the most verses. It's not going to be the loudest preacher. It's going to be those who work consistently, growing, patiently working, 
every day for the cause of the kingdom and did so with the proper heart and attitude, those will be the ones that the Lord will say, Well done! You've been a good and faithful servant. I don't want to be in that number, do you, that are ushered in the glory with this warrior Garment sure smell of smoke. You didn't get farther away from hell than a step or two. You're saved. I'm glad you're here, but barely. God knows the deal. I appreciated a coach I had in, in high school. His name, Terry Tilson. He came to be our cross-country coach and track coach when I was about a sophomore in high school, and that was my thing. I loved it the way... He would start the season. He would bring all of his runners, the guys and the girls, and he'd say, I want to start with a lesson. And he'd say, okay, come here. We'd all walk out to the track. We thought he was going to put us on the sprints right away. But he'd bring us around to that one strip of uh, straight strip across the quarter-mile track. And he said, this is the start-finish line right here. He says, I want you to all stand here for a moment. And he said this, this is it. This is Team is why you're here. We all kind of looked around. Okay. This line is the finish line. He says, I will be standing here at the finish line. Most of your meets and most of your events, I will have a stopwatch in my hand, and I will know exactly what you can do. I know your potential. I will be measuring that. And at the end of the race, he says, here's what it's all about, this finish line. He says, some of you will care a lot about the finish line. Some of you will get up in the Kansas mornings and you will, you will run, not only what I tell you to run after school, but you will get up and you will run in the snow like the mailman, snow, sleet, weather. You're going to do that because at this moment when You cross the finish line. You want to show well to do the best you can. He says, now I know that not all of you will be champions and always win the race, but I know you. I know what you can give. I know exactly if you're going to give it all or if you're holding back. And at the end, he says, I'm going to be the one holding the stopwatch. And what you want to hear from me is this. Great job. You did the best that you could do. He says, I don't expect you all to win every race, but I want you to do the best that you can do. And there he was, all season long, Terry Tilson with his stopwatch. And to me as a runner, you say, well, this is silly, but to me as a runner, when my coach said, Regeer, that was a great race. I could tell you gave it everything you had. Amen. Third, fourth, fifth, didn't matter. If my coach understood that my heart was all on the field, so to speak, and that I had given it the best I had, whether I won that particular race or not, To hear the master of the ceremony say one day to us, Christian, come here. You didn't necessarily preach like D.L. Moody. You you didn't 
perhaps go to the depths of the jungles like some pioneer missionary, but you, with the right heart, gave me gold and precious stones and silver. Your heart was all there. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Here's your reward. How sad to stumble into the finish line. And all we're carrying is wood, hay, and stubble that is burning in our hands as we approach the Bema seat. It will just be extinguished like chaff in the wind. So God is measuring us today and He's asking us, take steps forward. And as you do, give it all you can. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.